Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. Larry Kreider here with the Larry Kreider Leadership Podcast. So good to have you with us today. On our podcast, we learn week after week these small changes that we can make in, in our lives and our leadership that can make a massive difference in the future. And, uh, you know, many of my friends, we've said many times, we don't want others to learn things the hard way we have. Uh, you know, learn the same way that we've had to learn. So we want to help others and help younger leaders, leaders in the body of Christ from many, many nations. With me today is Barry Whistler, my friend for many, many years from HarvestNet International. Welcome, Barry. Oh, thanks, Larry. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great. We've been friends for so many years. I think it gives away our oh, age if we talk does, about yeah. it. We probably should not do that. <laughs> So, Barry, you obviously today lead HarvestNet International. You know, I remember back in the early days knowing you way back when you are in your 20s. And I was in my late 20s probably at that time, and God was using you to plant a church. And so we just want to hear from you about your life, leadership. Just give us a little bit of your history. How did you get involved in leadership? How did that happen? Uh, and what did that look like? Mm -hmm. And just we're going to talk in this podcast about things you've learned in the whole process. Okay, well, I grew up in uh, Lancaster County in a Mennonite farm family. You did. Uh, my church was pretty important. My parents were both involved. So okay. That got me involved at a young age there. Um, you know, I got was born again when I was 12, baptized at 13, and then uh, lost a brother when I, in, when I was 13. I remember. What happened? I remember that. Uh, you know, it's sort of, it, 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 I don't know if we still understand it, but he had some kind of viral infection. He, yeah. we thought he was, um, with some kind of flu, but he went into a coma then. Uh, and he's your older brother? No, he was younger. Younger than yeah. you. But that, that experience got me questioning okay. and, and seeking God. So, yeah. and I think my parents as well. And we, all three of us came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit then in the following years. For me, it wasn't until I was about 15. Okay. So you were serving so, the Lord at a really young age. Well, I, you know, I started out as, you know, the junior usher. I led a boys club. Wow. Uh, those kinds of things when I was in my teen. And then got involved in leading our youth group at church. Um, we also, I was also involved in a... A Bible study at the public school at Ephrata High School, and uh, that grew to maybe like 160, 180 people. Wow. Uh, it was during the Jesus movement. It was. So people were coming amazing. to Christ, you know, yeah. easy, and people were interested and open. It was an incredible time. And then we started one in, in our home in the basement, and uh, that's eventually what got me involved in planning a church, is because we had. We had young people that were coming to Christ from either no church background sure. or very nominal. They did not really fit into their churches. It was a whole wineskin thing. It the was. New wine, yeah. needing a new wineskin, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I never had a, you know, like a big call to pastor, but I, these people were coming and I felt responsible. Sure. And uh, so three of us together, we, we were going to, we were blessed by our bishops to start um, a charismatic church in the Mennonite church. Really? And, they were part of the Mennonite church? 
Yeah, we would have been part. And then later we, we, we ended up deciding rather than pulling people away, we just started in our home. So we, we went the house church route. Okay. And that just grew slowly um, until eventually we met in a regular building. So were you a Mennonite church plant, so to speak? We, we, did, we were not. You we, were not. We, we were headed that direction, had a number of meetings with the bishops, and they were fine with it. But in the end, we, uh, there was some, you know, some concern about it. So we felt rather than make rather weight, rock the boat, huh? Yeah, I, we just didn't want to do that. And so yeah. we just said, you know, we're going to start a house church. Okay, so you, did it. you started house church, met, met in a home. Do you meet in various homes then? Or We like, did. You know, the f- first couple, Cheryl and I were in this little mobile home on the yeah. farm. We met there, and then we started moving it. Uh, we would always have dinner, very, you know, close-knit group, community, fellowship-oriented, worship, prayer, uh, not, not a whole lot of structure and we weren't outreach oriented at all at that point okay which is why we grew so slow servants of love do i have that right yeah thanks for raising that that was our first name came by some prophetic word that we felt we needed to call the church that and uh, we understood what that meant sure we ended up thinking you know that's um that could be i didn't know everybody would understand what that meant so we changed it to something that would sound a little bit more understandable and appealing to the average person that is it is not a Christian probably? Yeah. So then, did you connect other places in the body of Christ? Were you just your own church plan? We're talking about leadership here, trying to yeah, help younger sure. leaders. You know, what if, if if someone today is starting a church, they're called of God to do that. Yeah. They talk to the local church and they bless them. They send them out. Then, do you recommend connection? I'm assuming. I do. Yeah. I mean, we. How did that work for you? For a couple of years, we, we started with co-equal leadership, which was not... I remember those days, so we state. did the same. You did the same. <laughs> well, you know, it, one thing it gave us was a real uh, value for team and mm-hmm. an everybody's opinion on the sure. team. But it didn't. It, it, we didn't really go anywhere. The other two guys involved, uh, we so we were growing slowly. The other two guys involved came to me and said, you know, we'd like to dissolve this. We think we need a leader. And I said, well, probably you're right. They asked me if I'd do it, and I agreed um, if they would allow me to find someone else to mentor me. Because, sure. you know, sure when I got married, I was um, 18. No, I was 19 when we got married. Really? Went on a honeymoon Just and a turned kid. 20 on the honeymoon and then came back and three weeks later started the church. Wow. So I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> but, uh, we, you know, we didn't, I didn't have a spiritual father and I wasn't really sure where to look, honestly, for what yeah. we wanted to do. Sure. Um, but I told the guys I felt if they wanted me to lead, I, I felt like I needed someone else to help me, and they, which was a big step because that meant someone from the outside would right. give advice. Right. At that point, it was three of us. So they, but they agreed to it, and um, so I became the first senior pastor at that point, and I found another man as a mentor. Sure. So you so, recommend that today? You recommend always having mentors, every leader? Oh, absolutely. A mentor. I, mean, yeah. I think... First of all, it's easier, but it's just less risk of making right. mistakes. About I, mean, I didn't know how to do a funeral, how to do a wedding. Right. Didn't know how to run a t- you know build a team and run business sure. meetings and all. It's just a lot of things that I learned by observing mostly. Now, were you getting paid to do this, or how did that work? Uh, you know, in the beginning, my dad, my parents were supportive because were they part of the church? Yeah, within probably six months, I think they left their post. Okay at the Mennonite church, which they were very involved in and still have friends there today. But they left to, to come and support. 
me. And even while we were in youth ministry in the basement, he would give me a half a day or a day off. I was paid by him on the farm, but he said, you know, take time to study, which I appreciate. And then when we started the church, as they were able, they would give me a half day and then a day. So I worked my way. I was farming at the time. So I worked my way into a full-time position um, years later. And you would you recommend that for a new church planter, or you know, talk about that? Well, you know, we we we've planted a few churches, and a couple of them were bivocational and weren't supported in the beginning. And we also planted one with a full time pastor, which has gone better. I think it depends right. whether you're planting house churches That's or true. or you're aiming for something a little mm-hmm. bit larger. Mm-hmm. And no, I wouldn't recommend it. I just, that's what we needed to do. We yeah. were in another network, so we had our financial obligations there. And so um, I didn't take a full salary. And I was also going to school Okay. Uh, the last couple of years. So like seminary? I, um, I did, yeah, I did an undergraduate degree in urban church planting in Philly. And then I went to seminary. Urban church planting, and you were a rural boy. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the plan was... Um, my plan at that point was to probably move to Philadelphia and wow. plant a church. I never knew this very. And then we had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, I was following the logic like Paul where you go to the urban centers and Clay, sure. Pennsylvania is not exactly <laughs> urban. And, uh, you know, I was happy with the church. Uh, it was growing slowly, but I felt like, you know, if I relocated um, either Lancaster, but at, by the time I went to school, I, th- I was looking at Philadelphia. And then we had this outpouring of the Holy Spirit break out and the church began to grow and talk I, about that talk about how the holy spirit was poured out i remember that so well because i remember you okay. guys really carried so much in our county of the outpouring of the holy spirit in those yeah. days so talk to us about how that happened well sort of i won't say it was accidental because i believe god was in it but i certainly i had seen in the beginning the charismatic movement i'd seen some excesses right I was at a meeting in the area and some guy was uh, praying for people and people were falling over and I thought, wow, God's, he's passing out some grace and power here, I need that. I got in line and basically what I felt was a push to the floor and I ended up really um, disappointed and sort of dis... A push uh, by the person, not a supernatural Yeah, he was push. pushing people over, at least for oh, me. I mean, I, it was nothing, I didn't feel anything of God at all. There was, so he was just really rough, and I, I ended up on the floor. And so I, I backed away from, not from the doctrine of um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and the use of spiritual gifts, but I just was very skeptical about some of what I called the crazy, the excesses. Sure. So I threw myself into theology. Uh, I felt like charismatics needed also to have sound doctrine. And that's true. It is. Mm-hmm. So I don't regret that, but after you know spending years studying i was it's interesting the way it happened as we had um at school i the professor assigned me to and i don't know why he did this because he didn't give everybody assignments he said i'd like to see you do something on jonathan edwards and um his justification by faith sure and this guy is a staunch cessationist but during my reading i bumped into what happened in northampton with um, jonathan edwards what right. happened in his church and I read it as historical matter, but then that summer of 90, 19, I see, no, yeah, 1994, I was in a network of churches that had a summer conference, and they, um, I don't know how much of the details you want to hear here. Well, but I just want to know they, how it happened to you. Well, they prayed, they prayed for the pastors. They called the pastors up, and I thought, 
I didn't know why they're calling it up. I thought we were going to get some chocolate or something in here. <laughs> they ended up praying for the pastor. So I'm looking, I'm at the one end and down at the other end, the guy's praying for people and they're, you know, they're falling, falling out, out in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I remembered this time where I was pushed and I thought, you know what, if he does that to me, I think I'm just going to call him out publicly. I would, cause it took me back to my reaction. Right. Right. Wrongly. Right. But what happened to me is, um, he didn't even get to me. He was a couple, one or two people before me. And uh, all I remember is uh, I was on the floor speaking in tongues and he never touched me. And that night I began to dream for a couple of nights. Um, I should tell you sometime because you were in one of the dreams. Wow. It was just a sea of people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you couldn't count them as far as you could see. So I knew something incredible was going to happen yes. in my lifetime because we were, I knew people in the dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of lifted. I went home from the conference with Cheryl and the kids on Saturday. And the next morning, got up and I felt really weak. I thought something was wrong physically. As I look back on it, I realize now there was a presence that was making me feel this. Sure. But I had one of the elders prepare to preach. When the time came, I could, so I preached my message. And in one of the points, I saw people start to weep. And it wasn't, um, I, I, I wasn't then and still am not a real loud, emotional preacher. But I, I saw a bunch of people weeping, and I thought, well, they probably need to repent. So I closed and uh, offered them to come up to be received prayer. And I went, which we never really did. Right. Uh, altar calls. It wasn't part of our culture okay. unless for salvation or sure. repentance. So immediately people rushed front that I never expected would respond. I mean, people that I think like teenagers that I thought their parents were making them come to church. Right. But they're in tears. And then when I stepped off the platform again um, without me expecting it or um, I didn't even lay hands on anybody, but a bunch of, uh, I think about five people or so near me fell over. So we weren't organized, you know, no, 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 no prayer teams to help catch right. and deal with it. This is all new to you. It was basically. all new, except I remembered at the time, I think I would have shut it down if I hadn't just briefly remembered what happened in Jonathan Edwards' church. Okay, what happened? Well, this, this, that's what happened. I mean, it started with youth and, and then spread to adults, and there were people that would um, fall out in the spirit and... Um, there was a variety of things happened, but it was right. the manifestations okay. that I never saw or experienced. And so here's America's famous, most famous theologian that had it happen in his church. But nobody told me about it until I found it in wow. Westminster Library. Interesting. So um, that was the beginning of it that Sunday, and we sort of ran with it. Well, what, I remember um, you had lots of meetings. I remember those days then, right? We had lots of meetings, yeah. And God was just coming and moving in people's lives. And touching yeah, well, lives. you know, it was, time, it was during the time of the Toronto right. blessing, which right. I was very skeptical of. My uh, overseer and the other network wanted me to go, and I thought it was just too weird. Yeah. But after the thing started happening there, and I knew that I didn't push them and I didn't start it, I started looking at, well, maybe God's doing something that was just sort of outside of our perception of what's normal. Sure. And it was. You know, so we left to go. I think we moved our meetings from Wednesday. We had canceled all our cell groups for a, for a month, two months to pray. Yes. So we would gather to church and pray on Wednesdays. That could have had something to do with it. 
But the, the good part about it is when it broke out, we were together then on Wednesday and the same thing happened. So we, ke- we kept it happening. Or we, we kept asking people sure. if they wanted prayer and then ended up moving it to Fridays for renewal meetings. And uh, because of what was happening in Toronto and the news got out, others came. I remember that. I remember it in the newspapers, and it was a yeah, it was a major yeah. deal. Now, what did you learn about leadership during that time? Because you were leading, trying to lead during this move of God. This thing happening it was kind of, it was out of your control. It was God's yeah, control. That's... What did you learn about leadership during that time? What well, would have you done different looking back? Leading that's that's just that word is a little bit. Uh, I don't know because I felt at times the best thing I could do is. Uh, to sort of go with it, but not lead it. I was afraid right. of putting my hand to it wrongly. I get it. And yet, um, it brings out, that kind of outpouring brings out demonic things, and it right. brings out people's, they, they start repenting and confessing. And uh, so it did require some pastoral care and sure. how to handle manifestations and meetings and things like that. How long did this all last? Um, Was it a couple of years? Yeah, I would say three to four years. It you know it, it it was strong for a year and a half to two, and then it began to taper. I had this conviction that outpouring was for harvest, so I yeah. I did not want to be a continual. Um, I didn't want that to be our mood unless it went to the missions to missions. So I I began to shift it into an intercession meeting, mm. which not everybody liked. I mean, they were happy to get prayed for and mm-hmm. just have fun. Mm-hmm. But um, Acts 1-8, it was pretty clear to me that uh, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you become witnesses. So you look back now, are you you glad you took those steps of leadership? Um, yeah. You, you are. And yeah. that brought you to where you're at today. In it did. Ways. I mean, the church began to grow. We ended up... You know, we we grew very slowly to that point. At that point, we began to, I think we doubled in a year and then again another year. So we began to have new conversions, which I was praying for. We started having people of different races show up at the meetings, which I'd prayed for. Sure. Um, I had preached a message in 1990, about four years before that, about the Antioch church, and there were multiple Yeah, tell tell us about that, because that's a rule. Did you carry that vision very strongly? Yeah, I just, I felt like the church needed to embrace something that was missional and outward focused. Yeah. And um, what I wanted to do was plant churches. Didn't know that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would have anything to do with it, but I thought, you know, we needed to prepare. So I preached a, a message on Antioch at a church retreat, and the church responded very favorably to it. And, um... There was also a prophetic word at that retreat that in the fourth year I will pour out my spirit. So I thought, well, we need to get a few extra wineskins. So sure. we started to plan to plant a church. We planted our first church in Centerville, which I remember that it doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But we sent about thirty-four people, maybe. But you obeyed God and took a step of faith. And- yeah, I mean, as I look back, I know what we could have done. To um, I mean, that church also got involved in the renewal, and it grew up to like a hundred and some. But it didn't end well um, in some ways. But we learned some things about church planting. What did you learn? What are some things that you learned that would help others who are thinking about either church planting or sending people out to plant a church? Well, I think, you know, we, we sent and uh, picked elders right up front. Okay. I should have waited a little longer. Sure. 
and be sure that there was uh, unity because the, the, the problem was with the eldership team. Okay. They were all great people. Sure. I uh, still are. I mean, I, I know them all today. But there was um, the renewal brought some tensions. Okay. And um, it, there just probably was a lack of clarity of vision, and the, the breakdown was in the leadership team. Okay. So, so it's all about so much of this is about the leadership, you know, it and how does. we choose leadership and, yes. and et cetera, et cetera. Now, yeah. talk about Harper's Net International. So, you know, and also talk about, I mean, today, uh, it's no longer service of love. It's effort of huh. community church. Right. Thank so you how for did, putting, yeah, right? Yeah. So let's talk about <laughs> that a bit and how that whole transition happened. That you came with that new name. Of course, today it's a mega church in our county, and it's just a major thing God's doing. And, and HarvestNet is a global movement. But let's right. go back to the beginning of that. How did service of love become ECC, and then how did HarvestNet happen? Well, we changed the name because I wanted something that people would understand and it wouldn't be misunderstood right. or misinterpreted. So we changed that fairly early after I became the senior leader, um, maybe the first year. Um, I wasn't thinking network at all until we planted the church in Centerville okay. and they said they would like to stay connected. And I, you know, I would have seen churches have family connections, not really denominational ties. I didn't really right. want to build that. Uh, kind of organization, but so I was in New. We were thinking. I told Ken, "Well, you know, we'll form a family of churches because we want to plant more and just keep them all connected to work together." I was in New Jersey and I saw a healthcare. I think it was a visiting nurse van, and it was called CareNet. And I, our focus was harvest, and so I just thought, "Yeah, I could put the two words together." That's amazing. That's how the word came about, and we called it HarvestNet. In the beginning, it was just two, two churches. Sure. And uh, then we added a couple, a couple years later, and you know, eventually it grew to the point that while I, I was still pastoring, the church had grown uh, considerably, and I felt right. like I wasn't sure how long I would do both. I wasn't. Sh I, I felt like each organization probably needed someone to focus on it. Kevin Eshelman was already executive pastor, mm -hmm. and he would step up while I was. Because by that time I was doing a little traveling. Sure. He would step up while I was gone and uh, had grace to do that and then step down and allow me to lead when I get back, which is really incredible. And then I could tell that God was giving him ideas and vision. And I thought, well, if God's giving him vision to lead the church, and I should just let cut him loose to do it. Sure. And give it to him. Give him the title. And everything, and uh, that's what we do. It's amazing how the church has grown, and Harvestnet now is you know global movement of churches. Uh, you know, you've written a bunch, you know, at least three books, maybe more, and there's at least three. Mm -hmm. uh, the Harvest is Ripe. Talk a little bit about you know your revelation from God on Harvest, and I've heard you tell this. You told me personally. I've heard you say this publicly. Powerful, but how Harvest should work in the kingdom of God in a locality. Yeah. Well, my model sort of comes out of my farm background, but I also think I see it in scriptures in a number of the parables and things. But my dad and his other brothers all had their own farms. Sure. Family farm. They farmed it um, mostly individually during the year. We would help each other a little bit, but then during harvest time, the understanding was that harvest we did together. So we take all our equipment, um, the sons, the hired help to one farm and 
just do the harvest, bring it in, and then we'd move to the next farm until we were finished. And uh, so my paradigm was that harvest time is, involves everybody. I mean, sure. in fact, all the kids were there, and the, you know, our, my mom was involved, and it was a whole family event. It was a lot of fun uh, to do it together, good food. When there was trouble, we repaired it together. We shared in those things as well as you know, the equipment to get the job done. But the goal was to bring the harvest in as fast as possible. And you all did it together. It wasn't just every year. one farm doing it. It was everybody every year. That's amazing. Yeah, we, we, all, all that's, I don't know. They just did it that way. I mean, maybe my grandfather started it. I don't, I'm not sure. sure. I was never sure how they decided which farm to do first, but they pick one. Maybe it's one that was ready first. You, yeah. know, you can check moisture and grain. Sure. And within an hour or two, they'd make the decision, and we'd all just start driving our stuff there and start. That's amazing. So you also have a book, Healthy Leadership Teams. What's the essence of this book? Well, I, I think churches should be locally governed, yes, autonomous in that way, and they need a team. I think you need a central visionary leader and a person that can lead the team. That's important. Like our attempt at co-equality, as I told you, didn't right. work. But at the same time... Uh, what does a healthy team look like? Well, it has a has a leader, okay. like I said, and it has team members. I mean, I think you need at least probably three. Sure. Uh, even a new church could have a few leaders. And then there is a sharing of uh, decision-making power among the team. And there's discussion and decisions made there. And um, I think a pastor and staff need to be empowered. But at the same time, there needs to be a team of elders that rule, to use the Bible's words, sure. that are the decision makers for that. And we've, all, we've always, um, we've had a little bit of overlap between our staff pastors and team members. And uh, honestly, some of our best elders have been businessmen that were just there mm -hmm. to advise us and to help. Um, and to pray and seek God together and, uh, you know, arrive at vision and um, timetable for executing things. Sure, sure. Well, again, these uh, these books are on the show notes. Uh, you, anybody who wants to pick these up, they're great books. Uh, Dr. Barry Whistler's done a great job. He is a doc, has his doctorate. And tell us about that. Tell us how you got your doctorate and what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I, I did that mainly because I just like going to school. Really? I could go to school the rest of my life. Really? It's, it's embarrassing. But I like books, I like learning, and after we transitioned the church to Kevin, um, I looked at a couple doctor programs because I just felt like I was going to do that. It, it, you know, it, it, it probably helps in some international cases, um, but I did it mainly because I like to learn. And your focus of your doctorate? Well, there was all kinds of things covered in the teaching, but we had to do a project, and I chose, um, we redesigned our school. And I chose to focus on how people learn how to use the gifts of the Spirit. Good. Because I believe, I believe it's not, it doesn't all fall out of the sky right. automatically, but I believe you can teach people how to prophesy. And so that was the study. We brought students in and assessed their level of understanding and practice in the beginning and at the end and proved that you can teach people to do it. So the doctorate was about sure. that. 
Yeah, I love the way you carry both the natural and the supernatural together, the way you've experienced so much of the supernatural, God's sovereignty coming and moving, and yet mm. line up and line teaching back to the scriptures, and you carry that carry that so well. As you look back, I mean, we want to talk more, and I may have to get you back for this. We wrote a book together with two, with four of us together called Straight right. Talk to Leaders, and you have some exceptional insights there on leadership, and I want to ask you some questions about that, but okay. if we don't have time today, we'll just do that at, at another time. Sure. Uh, but I, as we, as you look at leadership and you look back in the year, many years, how many years have you been leading now in some type of leadership? You say you started when you're like, what, 19, right, or 20? Yeah, I mean, the youth work would have would have been more like seven, that. 17. That was in high school. And then... So I don't want to give your age away, but you're talking... Well, I'm 63. Oh, there you go. It's no big so secret. It's been a long time. <laughs> you gave it away. Uh, uh, so as you look back in all those years, what are some things you wish you would have done differently? Um, you know, honestly, I think if I, if I had a clear call to ministry, I probably would have found somebody that was doing what I needed to learn and just serve them Yeah. instead of starting the church at 19. Sure. But, you know, I never really had a, uh, a clear call. I, I just did what I felt needed to be done because we had new converts and young people. And but that's probably, so refreshing. That really is refreshing. That's how it should happen. Yeah. To me, that's refreshing. I, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it can happen either way, but sure. I, I, I look back and I wish I would have had someone to learn from. I mean, I found some people to, to lean on. So that would be, first thing would be uh, serve someone else first. Okay. Second thing would be find someone that could mentor you, father you, let's talk coach about, you, all those things. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that quickly. Sure. And that can be different people at different stages of your life. Is that yes, correct? Yes. Right. Because you've had one person when you're younger and somebody else yeah. later and other people later. And maybe right. I have had the same. I understand that. So you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I had I started out with, at 16 with a man that he taught me. Um, there were th- he, he did the three of us who started the church. Sure. He discipled us yeah. and taught us how to have a disciplined prayer life and mm-hmm. devotional life, sure. how, to, how to treat a girlfriend and a wife, right. and, and uh, some things about marriage. Uh, then later on, I had an elder from a church. Uh, he was actually a pastor, I should say, for a short time, um, church in Philadelphia, and then connected with Ray Sierra in New Jersey. Sure. And uh, I was with him for about 15 years, and he coached me on... I remember calling him up the first time I needed to do a funeral and said, what do I do? <laughs> but then uh, he, he, was, he was a kingdom guy, so he got me interested in studying the kingdom. He's, he encouraged me to go to school later okay. on because I kept asking him about it. And he said, yeah, it would be good for you to go and sort of guided me on where to go. And then later in life, so I was with him 15 years, very helpful and um Later in life, Alan Vincent, who I know yes. was you were involved with as well. Yeah, Alan was very helpful to me for many years. Yeah, so I, I connected with him, and it was a similar relationship, probably more of a spiritual father yeah. uh, type of thing. Alan was, wasn't was interested in um, governing churches. He just liked to father yeah. men and yeah. teach. He was an incredible teacher. He was incredible, yeah. But he, he was very formative, too, in some of my thinking mm-hmm. and vision. That's helpful. Now, any other things you look back and say, man, I would have done this differently. Had I known all this, I would have done this differently. Anything else you can think of? Um, I wish that I would have focused more on the Great Commission in the beginning because I think that affected our growth. I think we were so fascinated with um, 
worship and community and relationships. Uh, we called it discipleship. We were we didn't really train people to reach the lost. We were trying to perfect each other, I yeah, guess. If, yeah. uh, you know, and it, it was a good season. But I, I would I would do that much earlier. It took me too long to realize that we needed to shift it, and that's when the Antioch thing happened. Yeah, but there was a whole movement in the USA at that time, and England, and a few that's other parts true. of the world, called right. the discipleship movement. Right. I mean, you're right. It wasn't reaching the lost, helping them grow, and, and releasing them to do it again. It was right. kind of helping us kind of grow and, yeah. and try to get the bugs out of our own systems. Well, it's true. I mean, I look at Wesley's discipleship through class meetings and stuff, and he definitely was training people in, in their personal lives, but he also had a vision to reach the lost and to multiply leaders, did. multiply sure did. churches. did it well. And I missed that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think one thing I could have done better and learned better was just the people side of ministry. Okay. Whether it, dep- whether it uh, you know affects how you work in a team or how you resolve things in a church or even just how you treat people. Sure. I wasn't as focused on that. I didn't understand the, the differences of personalities and okay. drive of people and uh, ability to bring consensus and unity uh, with differences. Like yeah. now we have, we enjoy uh, discussing and even disagreeing at times and it helps us come to better sure. decisions. I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So I would have seen that stuff as a threat to unity rather than something yeah. that could bring a deeper sure. unity. But sometime back at Jimmy Nyman, uh, I did a couple episodes with Jimmy Nyman, and uh-huh. uh, Jimmy spoke so highly of you and when they planted their church, you know, Lifeway Church in mm-hmm. Lebanon, Pennsylvania area, and how that you were so helpful in that whole process. So that uh-huh. it was a great blessing to see. And of course, you learned a lot of things over the years that could help him. Now he obviously worked with Gateway House of Prayer. Talk to us about that a bit. Gateway, yeah, Gateway House of Prayer is such a it has been is still such a key prayer movement in mm. our area is much greater than just your local church. There's people from, I know, many parish dev churches love being involved in that. Yeah. So talk to us about how that happened and how you got to where you're yeah. at today with that. Well, when we launched it, I think there were two dev churches on the first board. Probably we had a so. board in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least two of them I know that mm-hmm. were on the board and a couple others. So we appreciated that help. Um, the vision for that sort of evolved over time. I had a little bit of exposure to Mike Bickle and to Kansas City, sure, which I loved, and I, I just liked the, what they were doing. Um, I think through some teaching of Alan Vincent on the Tabernacle of David, he helped me to see that the restoration of the Tabernacle of David was so that all men might seek him. And so I felt like prayer should be us asking the Lord of the harvest to send workers, like Jesus said. Right. So there's the intimacy part piece, but then there's also the um, kingdom expansion piece. And I also like the idea of um, people from various churches crying out to God with one voice. Yes, so it was agreed. united. It was united prayer mm-hmm. that spanned diversity. And then I think Mark Dupont gave us a prophetic word. It was Halloween, 1999, maybe I think about 24-7 prayer. Yes. It's the first time I thought we could ever do it because up until that point, I was just, wow, this is a big undertaking. And then I started to think you could operate one locally and you could do it collectively. I was already beginning to look at collaboration from business books and things like that. So we launched it with a little bit of a different model of um, local churches or representatives from local churches doing it together. And... Um, not just 
people that did it full time, which right. of course we're ne- never opposed to that. But people that have jobs and families can pray and sure. need to pray and can do it collectively. And I felt like it would be important for our region for um, whatever God wanted to do. Yeah. So how long has it been? How long has the twenty four seven prayer been in operation? Uh, how many um, years, approximately. I think I think we would have started 14, 15 years ago. I think wow. it's been full time for maybe. This is a guess. I don't have sure. my facts, but I'm going to guess it's thirteen. Wow. So Jimmy started. Uh, Jimmy, we we called him to to direct yes. direct it, and um, at one point challenged him that we could take this Tuesday night pile of intercessors and spread them out over the week. Yeah. And uh, we wondered if we could do it, but we we challenged him to give it a try. So he got on the phone right at the same meeting and started calling people. Wow. And when I think within a couple of days, they had the clock covered. That's amazing. And Yeah, um, yeah and it's yeah. made all the difference in our county. I mean, it's made all the difference. You know, you and I both know that there's movements that are based in our county. You know, yes, HarvestNet is Devon National. Right. Got Hope All Network. Yep. You know, you've got uh, Worship In the Center Light Ministries, Ministries, Worship Center Ministries, yep. and, and others, I'm sure, yeah. based here in this county. And, and this move of God in prayer has made all the difference in the world. There are very few places in the nation that I'm aware of where there's this kind of collaboration in prayer among local churches working together in this way. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of things like missions and collective prayer being local church based. Right. I think that this. I think. I mean, I love all the parachurch things that, that they're doing, but sure. I, I believe there's strength, and probably more biblical for things to come out of or stay connected to the local church. So. Mm-hmm. Our houses should be houses of prayer. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, Barry, this has been so good. We're gonna we're gonna close out here in a few minutes, and I do want to mention the book Straight Talk to Leaders. I remember well when you and I and our friend Sam Smucker and Lester Zimmerman wrote this book some years back. Right. Uh, what we wish we had known when we started, and so much in here. I want to ask you about. You have so many good insights uh, in this book. I still love your breakthrough pig story, and I'm hmm. going to ask you some of those hmm. the next time that, okay. that I have you have you in. And uh, I mean, you talk about team meeting protocol. You talk about what the functional team look like, you know, what does it mean to be a lifelong learner? I mean, on and on and on, just amazing things. Uh, before we sign off today, is there anything else that you'd want a young leader to know? Anything that you haven't said today? Say, here's one thing that's really important. Again, we're focused on, there's a leadership podcast. We're focusing on what are some leadership principles we can use, we can transfer mm-hmm. to others, and they can hopefully apply these to their lives and not make some of the same mistakes that many of us have made who are now older in leadership. Yeah. And uh, again, we haven't talked, and, and if there's anything else you want to say about Harvest International also has a global movement uh, in many nations around the world. Uh, and, and, you know, I just love what God's doing with you guys. I meet some of your people when I travel to other nations. Yeah, I know and, you do. That's great. We like that. It's awesome. Working to, and working with you has been a blessing. We've just been blessed in this area. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to get together, you know, month after month for years to pray pray for God to move in the area. Well, that was the beginning of the prayer movement, probably. It, it, it probably yeah. was in many, many ways. Yeah. Now there's so many different ministerial prayer meetings in the county and, right. and still a real heart mm-hmm. to serve one another in this county. But right. is there anything else you'd want to share with any younger leaders yet? Well, without making a list, the one thing that comes to mind, very simple, would be that we have to be careful as leaders that we don't make it about us. Yeah. I think it should be about the harvest, we're stewards of the flock, we're stewards of the mission, the harvest field. And uh, if we're just happy to serve him and obey him, 
not caring about who gets credit That's and good. not making it about us. I mean, I understand the need for leadership and management, but, um, you know, some even, even Christians get involved oh, yeah. in uh, heroes and... Uh, right. Do you know what I'm, t- what I, I'm I saying? Do. You said it well, in, 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 the whole key of not feeling, not caring... Who gets the credit? We've got to yeah. get the credit, obviously. Yeah. But that's a posture, and you've taken that over the years. Yeah. I think many leaders in our county have taken yeah. that and done so that it's well. That's true. Yeah, it's just tempting for a young leader to, sure. to fall into the trap that it is about me and about building this ministry. When actually, you know, we should work hard and we depend on God's help. But the bottom line is, it's still His. So good, so true. Barry, thank you again for being here. And then great books, Healthy Leadership Teams, Practical Health for Church and Ministry Leadership. All this is on the show notes in the bottom. Uh, Harvest is Right, a farmer's view of global harvest. You just touched on that just a little bit today. And again, straight talk to leaders, what we wish we would have known when we started. And I want to have you back, Barry. We're going to talk more about that. There's so much in that book we want to talk about. So thank you for joining me today for the Larry Crider Leadership Podcast. Any more information you would like on Gateway House of Prayer, on Harvest International African Community Church. Again, check out the notes in the bottom. And again, the Larry Crider Leadership Podcast, where we learn these small things that can make massive changes and have great results if we apply these things from the Word of God to our lives and leadership. So look forward to, to talking to many of you soon, and God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Larry Crider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryCrider.com.